Thank you, Brother Eric, and to all those that are gathered here, which is the church. Let us be reminded, my brothers and sisters, that there's no such thing as the church being a building. The church is the people of God that belong to God because of what Christ has done in the cross by living the perfect life that we could not live, dying a death that we deserved, and rising on the third day victorious over the ultimate enemy, which is, which is death. So in that truth we stand. Let us not be discouraged that a particular building that we actually liked and were happy to be in is no longer an option for us. So um, as we look forward to where we're going to meet again, let us rejoice and rest in Christ, which is actually the message for today's uh, sermon. Very appropriately, because the Lord knew that we would be, we would be here this day. Um, just on a personal note, when initially I had the idea of perhaps the Lord wants us to start and plant a church, my initial idea was uh, maybe a home fellowship. So the Lord has granted me that at least for a few Sundays. Who knows how, how long, right? So we're rejoicing that too. Okay, so we come to Philippians 4, chapter uh, chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. We are uh, getting ready to conclude the book of Philippians. Uh, so let us read that passage. Uh, if you are able, let's please stand for the reading of God's word. So the word of God reads Philippians 4, starting in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, for we know that your word brings comfort. Your word brings, brings direction, guidance, truth, hope, love. And we are reminded that you are faithful and that your promises will come to pass. You have promised that the gates of hell will never prevail against your church. Let us be encouraged in that, Lord. Speak to us this morning as to what our attitude should be when there's times of turmoil, times of trial, when maybe it seems that there's no hope or that things have been lost. Let us have the rest that we seek which will come ultimately only through your Holy Spirit. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so based on the passage that we've read today, I've titled this sermon, Rejoicing and Resting in Christ. I think a, an appropriate subtitle, as I often like to tag a subtitle to it, would be Experiencing True Peace. How is it that we can experience true peace and then we need to ask ourselves a couple of questions what is the source of true peace it's something that a person can produce because of having positive attitude and and being optimistic 
Maybe that's some of it, right? But ultimately, it's something that we can produce ourselves or is peace something that is granted to us, something that is given to us. And then, when is it that we realize we need peace? Right? Can we create peace or is it given to us? And when are we in most need where we think, man, I, I wish I had peace? When does that typically happen? When everything is according to what we want and what we plan? Or do we really realize the most that we need peace when there is suffering, conflict, trials, turmoil, loss? If we start thinking about these things, we can quickly see that the times we realize we need peace is when things are not going well. Because when, according to our human nature, things are going relatively okay, then I don't need anything, I'm good, right? So when we realize that we do need peace from conflict, mental distress, it inevitably leads us many times to feel in despair, to have um, thoughts of depression, attitude of depression. And there is no short list of advice on how to overcome this overwhelming sensation, this feeling, this rut that we can get into. As an example of there not being a short list of advice on what to do in these cases, I came across a couple who are bloggers and they consider themselves professional life coaches. They go by Mark and Angel. They have a New York Times bestselling book and it's also recognized by Forbes magazine. The name of their book is Getting Back to Happy. Change your thoughts, change your reality, and turn your thoughts into triumphs. Right? This is the kind of advice that the world outside of Christ will tell you to do in order for you to bring to have peace. The reason why I bring this up is because when we are looking for peace in the midst of tough times, even though we are Christians, this type of positive thinking mentality can be creeping in into our biblical thinking and we can be trapped into looking for peace in areas that we're not going to find it. I'll give you a few examples of what these professional life coaches are telling us to do in times of distress. One of the things is learn to trust yourself. Put your full trust in yourself by following your intuition and doing your best. Right? Another thing, rather than focusing on eliminating the negative, focus on creating something positive. A couple of more. It says, imagine that you are not you and you are seeing somebody in the situation you're in now. What would you tell them? What advice would you give them? And are you following that advice that you would give another person? One more it says, uh, give yourself time to heal. That sounds reasonable. So what we're seeing here is that there's certainly a way to find something positive in the encouragement and the advice that the world will try to offer us. Admittedly, 
things like give yourself give yourself time to heal this is not all bad advice right when we are hurt when we are suffering it doesn't go away typically from one woman to the next so we need time but the main point here of this type of advice it predicates on one key suggestion trust yourself believe in yourself follow your intuition follow your heart you can do it you can create and if you just focus hard enough you will be able to create this peace this is what we are told. Now, is such thinking biblical? What does scripture say about trusting our own selves in the context of seeking wisdom, of seeking peace? We'll go to two examples. And when we're looking for wisdom, we can go to the book of Proverbs. Proverbs 28, 26. What does it say? Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in wisdom will be delivered. Right, so right off the bat, we kind of already see that Scripture will contradict the advice that the world will give us. One more proverb. 14.12, it says, There is a way that seems right to men, but its end is the way of death. Right? Trying to create positivity. If you just think hard enough, you will create that positive situation and you will be triumphant right that seems right it sounds good on its surface it seems right to the to the mind of men but ultimately it will bring death because we are thinking that we are self-sufficient in order to bring peace into a situation so then one of the keys here is that a theme prevalent in scripture right i always like to think of Whatever the subject is, there's typically a theme throughout Scripture. In this case, that theme would be that fallen man cannot produce his own peace. It's impossible. We may put a band-aid to that pain, to that hurt, to that distress, to that pain we're having, but it will not be enough. Perhaps will last for a little for a little while, but it will not be enough. So then the question is then how? If we do feel like we're in despair, what's the way out in order for us to not leave it to positive thinking and think that it'll just work out in the end? How can we manage that then? Can we create it? The answer the Bible gives us is no. And God, through his word, gives us instruction on how to deal with these types of issues in our life so that we can experience true peace. And this type of peace, we have read in today's passage, which says that it surpasses all understanding. It's not going to be comprehensible to the way people think. Right? If we tell someone that the type of peace that God will give them is the one that surpasses all understanding, and they are standing firm on saying, no, 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 you got to think positive and do all these other things that we've told you, they will think that's foolishness, what we're telling them. Because scripture says that the things of God are foolishness to those who are perishing. So then we must understand that this peace that surpasses all understanding is not peace that comes from men, but peace that can only come from God. This peace is accomplished by rejoicing and resting in the certainty of who Christ is and in his faithfulness to us. So now turning to the passage for today, we're going to see 
three main points about resting in Christ during times of turmoil. It has to do a lot with our attitude. So number one, we're going to see that a proper attitude of a child of God needs to be exercised. Secondly, we're going to see the reason for the attitude. Why should I have that attitude? And three, we're going to see the effect of that attitude, right? The peace that comes from God. Proper attitude, reason for the attitude, and what is the effect of that attitude? As we look at this passage then, let us think, what is my attitude today during distress, conflict, trials, persecution? Things are not going to the way we thought they should be going. What is my attitude? Am I attempting to create my own peace? Am I following a life coach, a life coach approach to my issues? Or am I trusting in God to bring me peace? So let us look at the first point. A proper attitude of a child of God. What is a child of God to do? Well, we are told three main commands, three main points of instruction, right? So under that first point, you'll have three sub points. First, we are told in verse four to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. We are told in verse five, to let our reasonableness be known to all. And then we're told in verse 6, to not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Those are the three main commands that we're given in this passage. Rejoice in the Lord, be reasonable to all, and don't be anxious, but rather pray. Okay? So let's take a quick look at each of these commands. First, let's look at rejoice. The call to the child of God to rejoice is found throughout Scripture. As a matter of fact, a very similar passage to the one we just read, we find in 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, in which Paul says this, Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's like the same author wrote it, yeah? He did. Very similar. Giving the church at the Salonica instructions to rejoice, pray, give thanks, because that is the will of God for a child of God. Another reference here, a couple of the references from the Old Testament when it comes to rejoicing. Joel 2.23, it says, Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God. For he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter as before. And then Psalm 97, 12, which says, Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. So rejoicing in faithfulness, rejoicing in thanksgiving, it's a reminder and a command to the Christian during trials to rejoice, to give thanks. Let us look now to Romans 5, verses 3 to 5. It says, not only that, but we, we rejoice in our sufferings, 
knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Another similar verse, Matthew 5, 11 and 12, it says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad for your reward in heaven, for your reward is in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So then we not only see a command to rejoice, in thanksgiving, in trust to the Lord, but also we see that this rejoicing does not depend on the situation being favorable. We see examples that the command to rejoice is specifically given during tough times. That is counterintuitive, right? We are told to rejoice in the Lord. Second command, Philippians 4, 5, the first portion of that verse says, Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. That word, reasonableness in the Greek, epikes, it means to be gentle, kind, gracious, forbearing. The NASB translates this as, let your gentle spirit. The CSB, which is one of the favorite versions of some brethren here, it says, let your graciousness, right, your graciousness, and write this one down. I think that's a very, that's a better translation. Let your graciousness. I'll explain why. The concept here of using this word is that one ought to have a spirit and character of humility, Knowing your place, not thinking too highly of yourself, looking to Christ. That's the type of attitude that the book of Philippians tells us to have. Paul has been building this up through the whole epistle. Then this person is to operate under the mindset that while we deserve judgment because of our rebelliousness against God, we have been given mercy, we have been given grace. We deserve nothing, yet I have been given so much. When we put ourselves in that place of humility, that's where we start seeing that we ought to act with kindness, with gentleness, with forbearance, with graciousness. This sets up the mind and heart to operate from a perspective then of thanksgiving toward God while showing grace to others. That's what that means, to show your reasonableness to everyone. Now the text says, to let this attitude of graciousness, graciousness, gentleness, kindness be known to everyone. Now the question is, how will this be done? This is not only by telling ourselves that we are nice people and that we are good to others. This reminds us of the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, peace, joy, kindness, faithfulness, self-control, forbearance. How can this be shown? How can we be gracious? How can we be gentle, kind? In our own household, 
to our co-workers, to our employers, to our employees, our attitudes towards, towards those around us? What would happen if I ask someone in your household or in your place of work what they think about you? Ask them if they think that you are gentle, gracious, forbearing, forgiving, loving. What would they say? That's a very important question for us to ask ourselves. Because we cannot show this type of attitude, graciousness to others, forbearance, by only thinking that we are. Or by saying, I want peace, but my attitude towards others is that I'm going to be a complete jerk. See, that's not compatible. It's not possible to do that. So then we need a spirit of humility and graciousness rather than selfishness. And when Paul says, let this be shown to everyone, this is going to be shown through our character. We cannot just say that, well, yeah, we are gracious, we are for, forbearing with each other, and we are gentle and kind, but we never express that. It never actually expresses in our everyday life, in our daily doings, with our brethren, with those around us, both in the church and outside the church. Let our attitude, let our character be shown to others. Third command. We'll find it in Philippians 4, 6. It says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Right? Don't be anxious. Pray and be thankful. Now, a note about anxiety. Anxiety serves as a very strong reminder, sort of being shoved in our face, a reminder that you are not in control. You're not in control. Anxiety has this overwhelming feeling that something is overcoming you and that you wish it was otherwise. If it was up to you, you would change it in order to stop your anxiety. But you do not have the power to change it. You are not in control. And God's instruction here is don't be anxious. But he doesn't leave it there. Anxiety, we're told by God, should be replaced with prayer. And that prayer and supplication to be done in thanksgiving. Now, an attitude of thanksgiving towards God, when we start giving thanks to God in times of trouble and think of all his blessings, it brings us a reminder of how good God has been to us. <clears throat> his provision in the past, his faithfulness in the past, his forgiveness, his patience, his care for us. When we start being reminded of how good God has been to us, we quickly realize that God has never needed help from us before in order to provide for us, in order to give us peace, in order to give us provision. He has never needed you in the past. Then we realize then that God is sovereign. He is in control. We're not. God is in control. God can work all things then together for all those who love him. Like we read in Romans, right? 
we cannot work all things together for our own good or let alone the good of others. And we could abide, we could be obedient, but it is not within our power. We cannot create our own peace. God knows the future. We don't. Again, we're not in control of that, so we get anxious. And therefore, God, God tells us, don't be anxious. Rather, trust me. Let us read the words of Jesus in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 27. It says, Jesus speaking, Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more of more value than they? And which of you, being anxious, can add a single hour to his lifespan? So this, instead of bringing us more despair because we see that we're not in control, it should bring us peace and not be anxious for not being in control because we know who is in control. Worrying about us not being in control is useless, literally. And if we spend our whole lives being anxious and worried about what's going to happen or about how I'm going to provide for myself or my family, right? If we are overcome by that, we are in sin. Scripture tells us don't do that. Oh, it doesn't mean that I kick my feet up and recline and say, well, the Lord's going to provide. No, that's not it. We are still responsible for being diligent in the things that God has provided to us in order for him to provide through that. But for us to be overcome with anxiety is not the will of God in the life of a believer. Right after that passage, Jesus goes on to say that we should seek first what? The kingdom of God. And all these other things will be added to you. And here he's talking about the needs that we have. No, he's not talking about our wants. Like, I want a bunch of stuff. But God tells me he's going to provide our needs. Right? By seeking first the kingdom of God. And our needs will be taken care of. So then, why should we have this attitude then of not being anxious, rather praying, of us rejoicing in the Lord? Why should we have that attitude? That takes us to the second point. What is the reason for that attitude? We'll see who or what are we depending on. Why should we have this attitude? The reason is getting into that very small phrase at the beginning of verse 5. I mean, at the end of verse 5. It says... The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. And as we read this passage, typically people quote, you know, the, what's most memorable, like don't be anxious, but in everything, prayer supplication, and then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding. We hear that quoted quite a bit, right? But we should not overlook this very important phrase, the Lord is at hand. This is the reason why we should do all those things. A fair question someone may ask is like, what do you mean to not be anxious, to relax? Like, don't you, think, don't you see what's going on? Everything's crumbling down. Don't you see the situation I'm in? 
Of course I'm going to be anxious. This brought to mind a situation that I often experience with my own daughter. She can become very distressed about particular situations, like she forgot her homework at school and now she's in extreme distress because she's going to get a bad grade. Or she'll lose something. She had lost an earring and it was like the world was crumbling down. She generally becomes very distressed. My words to her, very consistently, since she was a baby, I come to her and I tell her, I am your daddy. I love you. Whatever the situation is, we're going to find a way to resolve it. No te preocupes. Don't worry. Right? And I was encouraged to find a, a paper for Father's Day that she had done at school. And they were asking her a questionnaire about her dad. And one of the questions is, what does your daddy always tell you? And she says, my dad always tells me, don't worry. Right? So that has come through in her little mind. How is this example relevant? Well, this word that says that the Lord is at hand, the word there, ingis, it means close in proximity, either in time or space. It says that the Lord is close. Now, could the Lord Jesus be near in his second coming? Certainly, yes, right? Could be a possibility, especially in what context we're talking in the realm of time. Is the Lord at hand? Sure, is he close? Yeah. However, the context that this fits better here is that the Lord Jesus is close in proximity in the sense that he's near each believer, that he is here in our trials and our tribulations, that he is there. Because God indwells each believer by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that should bring us comfort. Just like the comfort of a child knowing that a parent is right there. It's going to be fine. I'm here. How much more our Lord God assuring us that He is near, that He is there. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says the following. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Similarly, Psalm 145 verse 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call on Him, to all who call on Him in truth. So when we are feeling overwhelmed by a sense of realizing that we are not in control, just as a loving father to his child reminds the child that we are there, infinity fold, Jesus reminds us that he is there when we are in distress. And although the situation may not turn out the way we imagined it, the way that if we were in control, we would handle it. God assures us that it will be okay because He is there, not because of whatever outcome is going to be. So only through Jesus Christ, God in flesh then, can we see that He is the one in control and that He is near. All right, let us look at the third point, the effect of that attitude. 
we saw what we should do, why we should do it, because Jesus is close. And now what is going to be the result of that? So now we've set it up to see what, what the outcome would be. When we realize that our distress is consuming us, and that therefore our only hope is to put our hope in God, to pray to Him, to be thankful to Him, knowing that our Heavenly Father in Christ Jesus, the one who has forgiven us and died for us, that He is near, and that we are to rejoice in all that He has done, then was the result. We will finally see this work out in the way that God intends it to work out, not the way that we intend it to work out. And we get that in Philippians 4, verse 7. What's going to happen when we do all that? When we align to God's will, it says, And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Often this verse is quoted, again, with, without the understanding of the context in which it has been set up for us. Some not too far-fetched examples in the past when I've heard well-intentioned Christians quote this verse, it will be somewhere along the lines of this. Just maintain a positive attitude. And the peace of God that surprises all understanding, see that? You're back into life coach mode. Or, you know what, just let go of your past. And the peace of God who, no, you're back again into life coach mode. No. Rather know that God is near. He's with you. Turn to Him in prayer and supplication. Plead with Him. Pray fast. Seek Him. Right, And then the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will be a true experience in your life. Right, There's been times in my life of trial and despair where the only peace I've able to get is the peace that most counts. When I come to realize that it doesn't matter of the outcome of the situation, God will give me peace in whatever the outcome is. And that He will be glorified in whatever the outcome of a particular situation is. So then this peace that we experience is granted by God. It cannot be understood by pure human reason. And this peace will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, as the verse says. We are promised not that all things will work out for what we think is best, but rather that they will have peace regardless of the outcome. And that our hearts and our minds will be guarded in Christ Jesus. Our hearts and our minds. Why? Remember, we are told to love God. With what? With our mind, with our heart. With all that we got. And that's going to be guarded when we fall in this attitude of a child of God. So then what can we say then to wrap this up? How can we maintain the attitude of a child of God under turmoil? Well, we are to be encouraged. First, we're to be reminded that trials are part of the Christian walk. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation. It's part of the Christian walk. And through that, God works in us 
our sanctification. God grants us perseverance. That we can advance in our walk, becoming more and more mature. Think about someone who really wants to get in shape and goes and signs up one-on-one -on -one with a coach that is going to train them. But that person doesn't want to work out. Like, I signed up for a coach. Nothing's happening. It's like, well, have you told what the coach told you? Well, then what do you expect? Right? In like manner, the life of a Christian is about trial. And through those trials, the Lord strengthens us and refines us. Secondly, rejoicing and resting in Christ will bring us peace. Remember that this peace cannot be produced by a human being. It can only be granted and come through God in the work of Christ. And then ultimately, and most importantly, why do we ultimately rejoice in the Lord? Well, the most important peace that we can have and the most important peace that we can experience as children of God is that we are at peace with God Himself. That's the most ultimate important aspect of having peace. Because if all else were to be lost, we ought to rejoice that we have peace with God. We'll go to one last verse which talks about this. Romans 5, verses 10 and 11. It reads, For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now received reconciliation. See that? We rejoice and we rest in Christ because we have peace with God. Let us go away with that. The most important peace we can have at the end of our lives is not whether that situation worked out or not. That's going to be a speck in the entirety of your life. The most important question in regards to peace will be, do you have peace with God? Do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you been forgiven by Christ? Has Jesus taken the punishment that you deserved as a rebel against God? And if we have trusted in Christ and we live and abide in obedience and perseverance to that day, we have the assurance that we are at peace with God. And in that we can rejoice. Because the greatest enemy we could ever have is not a human being. It's not an institution. It's not a group of people. Those that are enemies of God have the greatest enemy against them. If we have been reconciled, we have come into his kingdom and he receives us as his children. And he gives us his, his inheritance in an eternal life with Him. Then let us rejoice and perhaps also ask ourselves today, do I have peace? Do I have peace? Do you have peace?
And what is your typical go-to in order to get peace if you don't think you have peace? Right? A lot of us have our, our unique answers. What is my go-to if I'm feeling distressed, if I'm feeling under pressure? Is it Christ? If we're honest, many times it's not, right? So let us repent. And then, am I at peace with the ultimate means of peace? Am I at peace with God? And that peace is only possible through trusting in Christ, with His death on the cross, His resurrection, and trusting all that He has done for us. May we be at peace, not only with each other, with the outside world, but ultimately let us be at peace with God. And let us rejoice in that. Let us rest in that peace. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have indeed given us peace through the work of Christ. For he's the only one who can do that, Lord. To show us that he's in control, that he is sovereign, that he knows the future. That if we believe that and trust in that, Lord, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will be experienced by us so that our minds and our hearts are guarded. May that be so this day in our lives. And may you grant peace to every one of us here, Lord, anyone watching. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen.